Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Johanna Lyman on the line. Johanna, how are you? I'm good, Michael. How are you? I am great. Uh, looking forward to this conversation today uh, because we're going to talk about a variety of things. Uh, conscious leadership is one and diversity and inclusion. Uh, those are some huge hot button topics at the time of this recording and have been for some time. But especially during this pandemic, it, it's being brought more to light than it has in the past, which, in my opinion, is a good thing, and I'm guessing you believe the same. So share with the audience a little bit about your background, and then we'll dive right in. Sure. So I am a leadership development and culture consultant and coach. I'm the principal consultant with a company called Kadabra, and our website is wearekadabra.com. And I like to say that I came to this work honestly. I spent 16 years in corporate America, and I could write the book on how not to be a great leader based on all the horrendous bosses that I had when I was in corporate in, in a few different companies. So, but I've been doing this for a long time, over 16 years now, and uh, it is it's just such a joy and just really feels like this is why I'm here in the world, especially in this time with this pandemic. You know, for all the horrible things that are happening, I'm always one to look at what are the silver linings. I love that you have that approach on things and mine's similar where it's like, okay, what are the opportunities? right now? Yeah. What are the things that we can do? And I work in the burnout space and I know a lot of people are burning out right now, working from home. They don't have boundaries, a million Zoom yeah. calls and all of that. And I, I tell people, don't focus on what you can't do. Focus on what you can. And even had a conversation earlier today with one of my daughters and she's concerned that you know there's more of a lockdown coming again on some things. And and she was rambling off some things. And then I mentioned to her, I said, but half the things you just mentioned, you don't do anyway. So why is that problematic to you? And so you're, you're getting caught up in, in the doom and gloom that we constantly hear. And you're not focusing on, okay, what can I do? And if you go through life every day, okay, what can I do today? And that it's just a, a big mind shift and not only in, in life and are the malls going to close or not, you know, for teenage girl, that that's a yeah. pretty big deal. Um, and maybe for teenage boys too. I don't know. I don't want gender specific. It doesn't really matter. You know, some people would be devastated if the malls closed again, but in the story with leadership, again, you have to focus on what we can do mm -hmm. and, be aware of what's going on and understand that as much as we all would love to have a quick fix to things, and this is how it's going to be, this is something that is being built as we speak. And it's almost like, a, I'll use a spaceship analogy, it's like we've blasted off into space and we're still building the rocket. And, right. <laughs> and we have to use certain techniques and measures and protections in order to make sure that we're safe. And even though the thing is taken off, it's like we can't unlaunch a rocket. So here we are. 
Yeah, so we're, I, we're building it as we fly. Exactly. You know, you know so, I want to actually just touch base on the, the focusing on what we can do because what we do at Kadabra is we help companies build brave cultures. And brave cultures are purpose-driven, they're wildly innovative, and they're fiercely inclusive. And in the wildly innovative piece, there's a very... Um, there's a, a very relevant thing to what you were talking about, and it's it's something called a liberating structure. And this particular one is called the 15%. And liberating structures are a way to help people think differently so they can come up with better solutions. And the 15% liberating structure is all around, you know, in any given day, most of us have control over about 15% of what we're doing. But we spend so much time and energy focusing on the 85% that we have no control over. But if we could focus on that 15%, we would be so much more productive, so much happier, to your point, less burnout. You know, so, so it's really so much a matter of what are, what are we focusing on here? So sorry to interject. I just didn't want to lose that point. No, that, that's great. And it, it ties in really well in, in the conscious leadership component and, and how can leadership really dig into being more conscious in, in their leadership? You know, what are some challenges that you see leaders dealing with when they're not necessarily operating in that mindset and what are some things that they can do to, uh, to change the tide a little bit and, and change the leadership approach? Yeah. So, you know, this is one of the things that differentiates us as consultants from a, a lot of other leadership coaches is that we really focus on the being aspect of leadership. So there's the who are you being as a leader? What are you doing as a leader? And what do you know as a leader? Okay, three very distinct things. Folks with MBA backgrounds, folks that are in that sort of what I think of as the expert category, they're, they're subject matter experts, like they're super heavy on the knowing and they really rely and focus on that piece of it. And then others focus on the doing. Well, what am I doing as a leader? Oh, somebody told me to give, you know, three pieces of positive feedback before I give one piece of negative feedback. Okay, that maybe works. But then who are you being as a leader? is really, it's like the, the knowing and the doing are the tip of the iceberg and the being is what lies underneath. And that's where we spend the majority of our time. So what are your mindsets? Do you have largely negative mindsets or do you have largely positive, open, growth-oriented mindsets? Um, you know, like your daughter, are you focusing on the things that you can't control and that you you don't typically do anyways, or are you focusing on that 15%? Are you focusing on like, how, how can I be a better human today? Because if I'm a better human, I'm going to be a better leader. And we are in this culture that is, you know, you know, such a, a quick fix. We want the, you know, we wanted the vaccine for COVID six months ago when it only came out seven months ago, you know, <laughs> Um, but but developing yourself as a leader and developing a conscious culture in an organization is something that takes time if you do it right. And if you do it right, it's resilient. 
and it can adapt to an influx of new people. It can adapt to the, you know, leadership leaving, but the culture will be robust and resilient enough if you build it from the ground up from that place of beingness that it can survive all those things. I love how you mentioned time and a lot of leaders and just people of every walk of life. Yeah. They wanted that vaccine ready to go before the pandemic hit. And we, we know that that isn't reality. And we often don't spend the amount of time that it really needs to take in order to improve our workplace cultures and our homes, um, mm -hmm. life in general. We want things to be quick and the stuff that is worth keeping and worth nurturing takes time. It's yeah. like taking, it's like bringing a newborn home from the hospital and <laughs> expecting them to um, finish college in a couple of weeks. Well, yeah. unless they're really advanced, that's not happening. It's going to take time. You have to nurture them and raise them and, and deal with all the nuances of the terrible twos all the way to the teenage years to, you know, grown adult and, and doing things in society and all of that. It, it's, it's a time yeah. thing. It's, it's a long-term investment. And as a leader, even though you may only be in an organization for several years, it's still an investment. It's an investment of time and nurturing and growing and understanding and learning what your organization's about, what your people are about, what your clients need, and and harmonizing those things. And it's it's an ongoing process. It's not, all right, right. We, we, we finished the book or we finished this chapter or we finished this project, it's done. You know, it's, right. Or, you know, we did an unconscious bias training. We're good. <laughs> you know? Exactly. We, 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 we know what workplace harassment is now. Yes, we're good. We know it. It's like, no, yep. this, things ebb and flow because as humans, we, we ebb and flow. We grow. Yeah. We learn new things. We discover new challenges. And yeah. it's... Uh, we're never quote unquote finished. Oh. <laughs> I always and say that, when you're when you're done, you're dead, so don't be in such a rush. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And yeah. everybody likes to finish things. And I although so many people really don't, uh, even if, you know, there's all those to do list items that people have that they never get around yeah. to finishing. But in a work setting, yes, there's things that you finish, but it's still it's still not quite finished. There's things you can right. improve on and in, in for the next client or the next project or the yeah. next new employee, whatever the case may be. So it's a, it's an ongoing thing. Everyone likes, we want a conclusion so we can right. quickly rush to the next thing instead of taking the time and going, okay, what went well there in all the yeah. years that I worked in corporate and nonprofit, there was only one organization that actually, at the end of every project that we finished, we had an all hands on deck meeting regarding that project. It's so, okay, what went well? What didn't? Yep. What did we learn from this one that we can apply to the next? That is project? a great, great Just practice to get into. One, one organization. And yeah. yeah, it's not common. It isn't. And it was one of those things in, where I, I implemented it in the things that I did. If, it was surprised. Okay, what did we learn from this? What can we apply? And it, when I first started doing that, everybody looked at me like he had three heads. It's like, wait a minute, it's done. Why are we talking about it? 
because we should look for opportunities to be better the next time or take some learnings and can we apply those to other things we're doing to make those things better. And it's a, it's a mind shift for many, but it, it's such a fruitful exercise that uh, pays huge dividends down the road. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I do want to say that, that while it, you know, building a brave culture or any kind of great culture takes time, you can see the initial results really quickly. You know, we do, because we use some assessments and uh, we use the Wiley group of products, so Everything Disc and the Five Behaviors of Cohesive Teams. And like, we, so we can have a team take the assessment and then we do a team debrief and then like that very same day that week people will start interacting with each other differently more productively so even though that's one tiny piece of the work project that we're doing it it's folks start to see results quickly and then that helps them get more behind the idea of, oh, maybe we do want to change how we do things here. And it gives such an opportunity to, like I said, improve the organization. And that's a beautiful segue into diversity and inclusion uh, because we obviously are well aware that that has been a huge challenge in the workforce for several decades, if not longer. And organizations are shortchanging themselves if it's not a natural part of what they have. And my last healthcare role uh, in my organization, we had people as part of our clinic that spoke 16 different languages. Wow. So that's pretty diverse. That's pretty um, diverse. And well represented of the community that we were in. And I tell you what, the potluck lunches were off the charts. They were amazing. Um, and it was unfortunate because they're like, I cannot eat all of this food, especially with the dietician looking at me. It's like, this. I'm, I'm not going to be able to pull this off. So we, we thought about, well, can we break it up and maybe only have a couple dishes every once in a while instead of this big feast? Because it was, it was intense and it was, but it was like amazing. I'm thinking to myself, my taste buds are going to go, what are you doing to me? This is in- insane. <laughs> and, and they'll be like, okay, I need the recipes for all of it, please. Of because it, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be able to do it. But uh, it, it's one of those things where I, having the luxury and, and, and the f- being fortunate enough to work in an organization like that, I know what it brought to the organization as far as different insights, skill sets, backgrounds, mm-hmm. and perspectives on things. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the work that your team does around diversity and inclusion, what you're seeing that's happening in the world now that's positive, and, and, and then we can couple that with you know, where we still need to make some improvements. Yeah, so um, you know, obviously we are getting in all of the – diversity consultants I'm friends with are all getting inundated with requests for, you know, some kind of diversity training. I had a a lovely woman say, we've decided we want to become an anti-racist organization, but we don't really know what that means. 
like, okay, there are a lot of steps. You know, she was like the bringing home the newborn and wanting it to be in college. A lot of steps between where you are now and actually becoming an anti-racist organization. And thank you for wanting to be on the journey. Super appreciate that. Um, so we really look at inclusion as and diversity, but like inclusion and belonging is how I like to talk about it as the natural outcome of building brave cultures. If you've got conscious leaders and you've got cultures that are purpose driven, that are innovative, that are, you know, overtly committed to being inclusive, um, then inclusion just is, is not going to not happen. Okay, but we also have, much like our leadership model is primarily focused on the, the being, but there's the be, do, know, we've got an inclusion model that actually, if you think of a Venn diagram, it starts in the upper right circle with the me as the leader um, internally referenced. So that's the who am I being as a leader so that... Um, so that I can encourage my people to shine, right? But who am I being first and foremost? Where have I neglected myself? Where have I, uh, where am I excluding myself? Where am I, where have I kicked myself out of my own home? And that's probably very in line with the, you know, the folks who get burnout are not taking care of that circle, right? Who am I being as a human? How am I taking care of myself so that I am well-resourced for the time when I then jump to the upper left circle, where it's still about me, but now it's about me as a leader externally referenced as it relates to others. And this is about who who can I be that their lights will shine? I'm paraphrasing... um, the original BSO Philharmonic maestro, his last name was Xander, and just super abbreviated version of the story. He was very typical of a maestro, huge ego. It was all about him. Later in his career, he had an epiphany that, hey, I don't make any of this music. I've got to make these people with the instruments feel good so that I can, they can be their best. So he became this very externally referenced leader where he was focused on how can I make their lights shine? Who am I being that will bring out the best in them? And then once we've got that upper left circle where the team is operating as a cohesive unit because everyone feels valued, then they go down to that that bottom middle circle, which is where the the me and the us becomes the we. And what I mean by that is the global we. Like, who are we being as an organization that can help all of our stakeholders, not just our shareholders, that can, um, that, that are in service to the planet, because let's face it, without a healthy planet, the rest of all of our problems are a moot point. So, um, so that's sort of our inclusion model that, that's very holistic. And, you know, do we do in unconscious bias trainings? Of course we do. You know, we also do restorative HR. So we help companies create hiring processes and onboarding processes that, that will encourage 
diversity. And then we really look at, and this is the, the biggest piece of it, we look at the symptoms that are operating in the system. And anyone operating in any kind of colonized country in the world um, is going to have symptoms of white supremacy. And I know that can be kind of a, a hard phrase to swallow, but it's essentially a, a system that elevates white men, who, who I love, don't get me wrong, but at the expense of everyone else. So it's a win-lose proposition and it's the wrong paradigm. So we're really looking at shifting the paradigm for how can, like, if I win, you win. And if you win, I also win. So I always say privilege is not like pie, right? Power is not like pie. It's not a finite resource. We're, we're all like infinitely resourced from our own internal sense of power. And when we can access that, man, we will build some kind of spaceship as we're flying it. <laughs> I, I love the pie analogy because there's... Sometimes there's the scarcity mentality that many I should say times. many yeah. times. And, and I see it in a lot of the conversations that I have with new entrepreneurs, for example, yeah. and you know, people that are working in a similar space to me. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. had a conversation yesterday with somebody that does very similar work to me, but a different approach. And I, I told them, you know what, I'm, I'm happy to refer people to you that I think would line up better for you um, without you know, expecting anything in return from it. Because I know that the pie is bigger than any of us could yes. even approach to get even a quarter of the way through. It's a, it's a humongous pie. Everyone could eat you know, three times what they should there's still going to be pie left. So right. instead of saying, well, I don't, I'm going to keep my pie over here and not share with everybody. No, I, especially now, and this is, you know, this is kind of poignant with what's going on in the world right now. Nothing to make me happier than to have a gigantic party where everybody that wants any amount of pie, they can come and have it. And right. we're all there consuming together from, yeah. and that's yeah. because that's the world that I want to live in. And that's yeah. the world that I want to have. That's the world that I've demonstrated with my kids and how I live and how I've worked. And and believe me, I'm not diminishing what we've seen in, going on in the world and especially in, in the United States with a lot of the the riots and the challenges and discrimination, all that. It has to end. Well, it does, and it, it all comes from that system that we're blind to because it's the water we're swimming in. But scarcity is one of those symptoms. So when I when I say a white supremacy culture, people kind of go, <clears throat> you know. But then if I don't say that, and if I instead say, "Do you all notice any of this in your organization? Do you notice perfectionism? Does anybody get defensive when their ideas are challenged?" Does anybody have this either or thinking, like, if I'm right, you're wrong, or like this uh, competition at any cost? Do any of those sound like symptoms that exist inside of your culture? And of course, the answer is always yes. And then they get the big reveal. Well, guess what? Those are actually symptoms 
of the system inside of, I'll just use the United States as an example, but it's not the only place, symptoms of the United States culture that then went over to the culture of corporations. And it's a, it's a false paradigm of scarcity. Like there is plenty to go around. What if instead of perfectionism, we like embraced failure because of all the great stuff we learned? You know, that's, that's one of the many antidotes to perfectionism. What if instead of, you know, the scarcity, we thought like, wow, yeah, the pie is, the pie is huge. In fact, I can't see the ends of the pie. There's plenty here. Let's just, let's tuck into our little corner of it. And let's just fully enjoy that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so poignant and, and spot on. So what do you think, and this is a crystal ball kind of moment. <laughs> I'm good when, at this. <laughs> when, the, when the pandemic has moved on to whatever state that it'll be where things get to what I like to refer to as the next normal, what do you hope work will look like when it comes to diversity, inclusion, and then also conscious leadership? Where, where do you hope to see organizations uh, in the next you know, three to five years? If, of course, if yeah. they take this opportunity right now to make the adjustments that they really need to make. Yeah, if they take the opportunity to make the adjustments that are being offered them, I think we have a tremendous opportunity to actually um, have a meaningful impact to reverse global warming. I think we will see more human organizations. I think we're going to start to, and I'm certainly doing my part, to start to see the unraveling of these deeply divisive and deeply dysfunctional organizations, these systems that we've been in that we haven't even questioned. But now we've had a mirror put up to them. You know, we were talking before we went on camera that, um, you know, dogs barking in the background, like that, that would have been like such a no-no at the beginning of the year. And now it's like, oh, yep, I got one too. Or you're going to see my cat's butt in a few minutes, you know, or my kid's going to be running in, you know, so, so that humanizing of the workforce, I think, is a very heartening trend that I hope will continue. Um, I think people will have more choice. Some will undoubtedly want to return to work, to an office, to a community. Others are happy as clams to be working from their home. You know? And so with that choice comes agency. And now all of a sudden, that 15% that I have control over, maybe it's 17%, maybe it's 20%. Now I'm happier because what we know is that when folks focus on the things they can impact, when they focus on what they have agency in, they are happier in their jobs. They're happier at work. I also hope that, you know, I always say that COVID ripped the covers off of the real disease that we have in this country, which is racism. And so, you know, we can't pack that genie back in a bottle. Thank goodness. And so what I hope is that companies are not just doing the blackwashing because it's up now, but that they're actually, that their employees are going to hold their feet to the fire. 
And this is happening. There's a beautiful woman, Julia Banks, at Adidas, who has been staging a protest at Adidas headquarters because they came out with some, you know, solidarity statement that was basically they copied Nike's statement and their leadership was not doing the work to become anti-racist and substitute Adidas for any number of companies. I'm not picking on that one brand, Um, you know, but then you've got Best Buy, on the opposite side, like they've been working for 10 years to diversify their board because what we know is when boards are diverse, companies make better decisions. And that's like that trickle down effect doesn't work very many places in the world, no matter what politicians try to tell us. But it does work if you're in a corporation and you have a diverse board, they start making decisions that trickle down and improve the lives of everyone. So those are some of the things that I hope to see in the world in the next three to five years. I'm with you completely on all of those things, because if it happens, like you said before, it's, it's one of those, everybody gets as much pie as they want and it's a much better place to live and work and do the things we need to do. So Joanna, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this incredible work you're doing? Yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, so our website is wearekadabra, K-A-D-A-B-R-A dot com. And they can find me on LinkedIn. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with folks from, from podcasts. Um, it's linkedin.com slash in slash Johanna Lyman. Um, so, and that's really where I hang out on social media because I'm not a multitasker. So I, I focus my time and attention on that one platform. <laughs> it's my favorite platform no offense to twitter or facebook or instagram or any of the others but yeah i I find linkedin is is where i tend to spend most of my time when i'm on social media so definitely have all that information in the show notes so johanna thanks again for being on the show really appreciate you and this this great work you're doing yeah thanks so much for having me michael it's been great Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.